0: Go ahead. Yeah, uh we were talking about
1: birthdays a while but I think we forgot
0: one now, if I'm not mistaken. I think the twenty first of December is the birthday of this gentleman Ah, Norm. <laughs> Happy birthday, Norm. There we go. Well, make sure I we'll, we'll have we'll have to uh yeah, we'll have to catch up with you on that. So all right. You thought you were gonna get away with that. And did you know there's always one friend that just uh yeah. Uh, or maybe he's not your friend. I don't know. One or the other. But that's good. Oh that's good. I knew it. <laughs> well, happy birthday for sure. Uh yeah. Okay. All right. There's a list. I don't know. It was a you know I I just uh the dynamics of that, I don't know, back up nine months from that time. I don't know. Was all, everybody was you know, born or something here on, that date, or on those dates here this week. So there's a long list of birthdays. So sorry if we missed some of those. We don't always get those in, you know, various things. But wish, wish folks a happy birthday on that. And remember that second birth is even more important, isn't it? Born again. The first birth will get you in this life. Second birth will get you in the next, you know, and it's with him, born from above. All right, we're in the book of Judges, and we're in Judges, The really our last message out of the book of Judges. It's not the last part, um, but we have the last of the major judges that are mentioned here. And we've been dealing with Samson now for several uh, weeks and almost uh, months now, uh, actually probably close to three months because we've had some breaks in that. And I realize it's Christmas season coming up, and uh, I haven't had a Christmas message yet, you know. But uh, next week is Christmas. Lord willing, we will be in uh, the Christmas story for that time. But we've been looking at this last and final of the Judges of Samson, and he is one of those characters that um, is sort of a contradictory person in that he had so much going for him, but yet so often he failed miserably Uh, morally and yet overshadowing his life if you were to look at it he was a man that secured victory and peace for his nation and there were many good things and he's listed in hebrews 11 in the hall of faith and i always marvel at that because from our perspective looking at someone's life sometimes we think well that didn't work out very well you know and yet from god's perspective he sees things differently and he sees really what he can do through someone who is willing to give their life for him and they're willing even even in the small portion of that life maybe the final days of a life and by the way it's never too late to come to faith in Jesus Christ never so long as your heart is still beating in this life and I say that because that invitation goes out and it's out to those uh, in, in that are here today it's out for those that uh, we know and sometimes maybe even people we kind of gave up on and said well that was a miserable failure I'll move on but yet does God move on and I would just say no he doesn't and we're going to pick this up this morning reading in um, Judges chapter 16 last week or last time we met two weeks ago in this uh, section we learned that the Philistines had captured Samson. Remember, his, his hair was cut off. He didn't even know the glory of the Lord had departed him or the power of the, of the Lord. The, God's spirit had left him. He didn't recognize that. I think that's because in his heart, he wasn't walking with the Lord in that time. There had been about a 20-year period where Samson had been relatively victorious, apparently. We don't have any really story about those times. He reigned as the judge in Israel, For about 20 years. And when you look at that. He ends up. uh, And we looked at last week. That they capture him. And we ended with this verse. It says then the Philistines took him. And put out his eyes. That means they gouged his eyes out. Or burned him out. And brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters. And he became a grinder in the prison. Now if this was the end of Samson's life. We would say. Failure. Big F. You know. Failure. And yet, it isn't the end of Samson's life. It doesn't look good for him. He's nearing the end of his life. We know because we have the next verses, and that's what we're going to look at this morning verses 22 to verse 31. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now, the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. And so they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed in between the pillars. And then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. About three thousand men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. And then Samson called to the Lord, saying... O oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. O oh, God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell and the Lord's and all the people who were in it. And so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Lord, we open up your word once again, thanking you for it. Thanking you for this historical account of the life of Samson. And we pray even this morning, Lord, we would, we would not look at only the circumstances of his life and even his death, but beyond with eyes of faith. We thank you for who you are in the midst of chaos. O God, you are exalted. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We have this story, again, the account of the end of the life of Samson. And uh, he literally, as he dies in this world, he takes with him thousands of people, thousands of the enemies that had uh, not only treated him terribly and and taking his eyes and all of that, but those also that had plagued his people, the Israelites, and Samson in his final act uh, calls to God in faith, and the literally the temple comes down around him in the absolute destruction of the heart of the worship system of the Philistines, and we we see that in this. And as I said before, we often will look at something and we'll say, well. I wouldn't necessarily want to model my life after Samson. And that's true. I, I, I think there's a lot of things with Samson. We have already looked at him. He had some problems. He had a problem, first of all, with himself. I think Samson was, he was really the one that never was able to control himself, first and foremost. he was Before he was even born, he was given that order of the Nazarite. And he was to be separated or holy unto God for his whole life. And he was anything but throughout his life. It seems like he had moments of hope there. We thought he was going to do it, and then he didn't. He got caught up with women and, and ended up in trouble there, of course, in the last one with Delilah. And after that, we have uh, Samson, you know, imprisoned. And he's in a prison of his own making in so many ways. And yet... Responsible for that prison also the Philistines and God was going to take in the darkest of times and he was going to show that he was the he was still powerful and he's above all false gods he's the God of all creation and my friends don't forget that I don't know about you we live in some pretty dark times and I don't want to get on that it's like I don't want to be the old guy that just is complaining about the world we live in you know and all that there are amazing things happening and like wednesday i was there to witness you know what was taking place at good news club there and i thought wow god you're good in the midst of this you know here we are there are places in the united states right now that have chapters of after school satan clubs and those are actual chapters like good news club and they're doing that Um, And there's several of these chapters that have opened up in public schools. And I'm thankful we don't have one of those here right now, you know. But I'm just saying the push is going to be there. But God's still more powerful than that. And God is still a God who is the one who is in control of things. And if we will let Him show His power, oh, He will do that. We'll call on Him. And Al, I'm glad what you said this morning, you know. I thought. You know that's. I honestly, I'm. I'm, I won't make light of this, but listen. He preached the announcements today, and I'll tell you, it's good (laughs) because we report to you what God is doing in the little things and the big things and the things that as we plan and we gather, we realize that if God isn't in it, it's no effect, right? It's just people gathering. They do that all over the place, but we gather in the name of the Lord, and that's powerful. We, We live in times which you know are are just dark. And if you don't, I'm not going to go into things but you know yesterday news broke about stuff that was going on in the Senate chamber, you know, in our own governmental house, the people's house in the, in that way in our capital of just great debauchery that is happening. And you know, I think wow, where are we? Well, maybe we're in dark times in America, but I'll tell you God is still a God of light, and he breaks through in the darkest of times. And we see that in, in this man's life, in Samson's life. Uh, we, we come to that. And by the way, if you read through the scriptures, and you will find rather quickly that the Bible portrays people as just that people. Sometimes we make them into superheroes, right? We think they didn't sin, or they didn't. The only one that never sinned was Jesus. Everybody else. Now, there's some that their sin isn't mentioned, you know. Uh, I think of Joseph of the Old Testament, you know. We don't find Joseph in any battle in his life with sin. And, you know, it doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that he didn't battle it. But he was victorious. Uh, There are others, too, that's not known about things. But they were sinners. They realized that. They needed a Savior. We certainly see that throughout Scripture, We think of Abraham, he lacked the faith to believe God's promise. And yet God promised, his promise was fulfilled in spite of the lack of faith of Abraham. Isaac did what his father did. He lied about his wife being his sister, right? And that almost got him in trouble. Of course, Abraham did the same thing before him. Moses committed murder. Have you ever thought about that? Moses was a murderer. He knew that he ran he ran as a 40 year old man from his from Egypt and he takes refuge in the wilderness uh, and, and and there for 40 years he's tending sheep and then God says oh yeah Moses by the way I can still use you but Moses wouldn't have passed a background check but yet God used him because he was forgiven he was reconciled and there's no sin you can't do or can do that God can't forgive except the sin of rejection. If you reject him, there is no other way. There is no other way. How about Joshua? He falls before the Lord at before or after the attack of AI when Israel was defeated, remember? But before that he he was up in pride. He thought, "Oh, AI no problem. We can take that little that little heap over there." And instead God said to him in a very real way, in a very hurtful way, in the sense that it hurt Joshua because people died under his command. And they did so because he didn't seek the Lord. And and there was this valuable lesson he learned in being, trusting of God in faith in the small things and in the great things. How about Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute her background was pretty shady and yet god would graft her into the very lineage of jesus christ as one of his great 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 grandmothers when you read matthew one her name's written there think about that how god can do that and by the way he can do that for you he can do that for me and i'm glad because i'm a sinner and i have to tell you you're sinners too and and we're in trouble if we didn't have a savior Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's the great story of the Bible. He is the Redeemer. It's what we were singing about this morning in these Christmas hymns. Think about that. Well, we learn a little bit about about, uh, Samson. And by the way, I didn't read the last verse of Samson, uh, of that verse 31. And it says, And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him, and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshterol in the tomb of his father Manoah he had judged Israel 20 years now the end of Samson's life is he's buried in a heap of ruin which is the temple of the Philistines and his and his people have to go and dig him out his body and carried off to the tomb and I don't know where you and I will end up in that time when somebody has to come claim our body. I mean, it may be something pretty simple. It may not. It may be from a hospital bed. It may not. It may be sitting in your easy chair at home. It may be in a car somewhere. It may be whatever. And it reminds us that someday someone's going to come and call the undertaker. You better know the undertaker first, you better know Christ. And it warns us that death is that universal enemy. In the end, it reaches out and it grabs us. But yet, he has been victorious over death itself. And we have no more enemy in that if you believe in Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Right? Read that chapter, that wonderful chapter. Someday, even the body, even if no one comes and gets it, he's going to get it. Because he knows where it is. He does that. Well, I want to use uh, simple words again about this section of Scripture just to keep in our minds focused. And we have this bad story of Samson's life up to this point. I mean, it seems like he's, he's just done a lot of things. He's been failures and they sort of would be the end. And if that was the end of him, it's very sad. But it isn't the end. And we see in this account of Samson's life, we see a restoration that goes on. And and it isn't much of a restoration, but it's a restoration that is needed, and it is a powerful restoration. And in his final days, in his final moments, we see a man of faith who has realized for the very probably first time in his life that he's entirely dependent upon God for his strength. Isn't it funny that's how it is? So often when we are the weakest, we finally realize how strong God is. Well, that was Samson. Restoration. We read in verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now, I claimed that as my life verse back there in my th- <laughs> age 30, but I've since, I've since shifted to, you know, other verses that, that deal with baldness now. But anyways, but for Samson, this was a big deal. Why? Because we know that as a Nazarite, he was not to cut his hair then And that sign was really for others as he walked around that they knew he was supposed to be someone who was god 's man, and that part of the Nazarite vow, and they cut his hair, and the shame of all of that and the power that resided with that and i don 't understand exactly um, you know it was never in in the sense that his hair had special power, it was God who had his hand upon a Nazarite that was powerful. And when Samson lost his hair, it was emblematic of his spiritual walk. He didn't even know the Lord had departed and he was walking around with no hair. Wow. God, or he was captured with no hair. We realize that. And by the way, there's a picture here of restoration. And the regrowth of Samson's hair, it says it began to grow again. Now, hair doesn't grow very fast. For some of us, it doesn't grow very fast at all. Except in the places you don't want it to grow. But hair, nevertheless, doesn't grow very fast. I think I read it It grows um, about a quarter to a half an inch um, a month. For the average person okay um, and again it's different with each you know individual and all that stuff and so it takes a long time to get a lot of hair and I don't know exactly how much hair Samson needed to have but his hair began to grow again and it just shows that he goes back and he begins and he's being restored And in that restoration process, here he is grinding out the mill. That's where we left him, in his blind state. He's acting like an ox would. He's just grinding out grain like a big beast, turning around this grinding stone, and he's doing that. And we find out that um, really that relationship with the Lord begins to grow again. And I think that that's important. And, by, and I say this because that invitation is for each and every one of us. Maybe you feel like Samson. You know, spiritually, I am in a barren place. I am been blinded by my own sin. And I find myself just like a dumb beast going about that old grinding wheel. Stop. Ask the Lord to forgive you and cleanse you. And he will. And he'll begin to restore again even the years that the moth has corrupted, the rust has overtaken, and all of that. And the thief has come and broken and stolen. Because God is big. And he can do that. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, except such is common to man. But God is faithful. In spite of the man of God, Samson having looking like he was defeated entirely and, and just an awful scene in his ending of his life we find that god is still faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able but with temptation the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it and the process of restoration is a very simple one for the believer it's simple for us it's not necessarily simple for what god did he died for us. He didn't just die for the penalty of our sin, but over the power of sin. And if you will allow him, he will help you break that cycle of sin. First John 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad? See, there's a principle in Scripture If we cover our sins, he's destined to uncover them. And I don't mean it like, you know, the pointy finger going, hey, you know, your sin's going to find you out, your your sin, because these fingers point back. And it's a constant reminder that we need to come to him and confess and be cleansed so that we're walking right with him. For Samson, he needed only to do that throughout his life. He never learned to do that throughout most of his life, only at the end of his life. The book of Proverbs says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's the principle. If you cover, you won't prosper. If you forsake, you have mercy. And that idea of repentance, and I say this a lot, life is a life of repentance. If you don't think you need to repent, then you're not looking close enough. And I mean that because there are days, very few days, where I I could stop at the end of the day and say, boy, there's something I I don't need to repent today. I I don't think I can do that for a few minutes sometimes. (laughs) Just say, Lord, my actions, my attitudes, my thoughts, the the lacks of things, like lack of caring and those kind of areas, those are all areas that I had to turn around and just repent And say, oh God, stir my heart, make it a heart like yours, make me walk with you, and allow me to do that, have mercy on me. And he will, and he does, and he restores. I love the promise from Jeremiah 33, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. I love that. That's a universal invitation. And if you will trust in the Lord, He's promised to pardon not just some of the iniquity, but all. I'm glad because we need all. How much hair had to grow for Samson to... To realize that, I don't know. Maybe just a little peach fuzz, that's all. There's hope for all of us then, right? (laughs) God's God. He's powerful. He loves us. We see not only was there a restoration, but there was overarching this, a reproach. And that also, understand this, that God doesn't want us to live a life of sin and then at the last moment slide into home, you know, making it. All right, I did it. But I lived a terrible life. He wants us to live holy now. He, you know, he wants us in our youth to be sold out for him. I think from a child on, to live for a life, right? It was D.L. Moody, and I said this before, but one night he was asked after a series of meetings by a friend, a friend asked him how many people were saved in the meeting, and he said four and a half. And the man said, four and a half. Oh, he said, you mean you mean, uh, you, you mean uh, f- four adults and a child? He said, oh, no, no. I mean four children and an adult. See, those children have their whole life to live for the Lord. That adult has missed out half his life already. And, and sometimes we think that way. Like, And I'll tell you, one of the greatest things this week, watching those kids listening to the gospel and the Christmas story, um, up at the school, and those of you that were helping in that, and, and just saying, Lord, thank you, because your word is being known. And where does that pay off, you know, in the sense of them? Uh, you know, somewhere that the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And it says, that's the way it does, it doesn't any other way. And the Bible's being taught. And let God do the work. There was a reproach. And it says here in verse 23 of Judges 16, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, small g-o-d, right? For they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars. This is not a pretty scene for Samson and it's not a great scene for God, the one true God, Yahweh. Because Dagon who is this idol that the Philistines worshipped Uh, it was an image that is described as a man with the tail of a fish and it was believed that if you worship Dagon it would make you a better fisherman and the Philistines were people of the sea as much as they were as the land and so you had this really ugly hideous image of a, a man fish or something the Bible says that that's what we like to do. We take the glory of God and we turn it into corruptible things, things made with our hands, right? Things like four-footed beasts and creeping things. And we worship it. Because we don't worship the one true God, because we'd rather worship a lie and something we can touch and feel than to turn and repent and face a holy God. And so in our natural state, we always go that way. So just on the surface here, it looks pretty bad for for our God, for Samson's God, because it looks like Dagon and his people have won the day. But that's not the case. And God takes note of that. And by the way, in the end, God always will have the last say. Always. Always, always. We find over and over again the reproach that um, hangs over that. And it's just a reminder to us that whenever we engage in sin, and then that sin is discovered and found out, it brings reproach not only to ourselves, but to God. To God. Terrible things. And the world's filled with And you know, we live in a world where it's less and less shameful to do things. People don't even have a shame. They don't have acknowledge knowledge that it's wrong. Things that would have made people blush even 20 years ago today, they don't even think that's abnormal. God looks at it and says, Woe unto them. Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. We're there. Psalm 106, verse 38 And shed innocent blood, and in the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people so that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand." I often wonder as the psalmist is writing this, is he thinking of Samson or others? There's all the times in history that was the same. Look at it, it says, though many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. That's a sad commentary. God allowed Samson to get into the prison with his eyes being put out so that he could finally get a hold of Samson. And God could make his name known. You know, I think of that because good men can do bad things. And in the it is in, in the heart of people to do the we're capable of doing the worst of things. And that's that's a theological position I rest in, and it's also a practical thing, I believe, because I see it. And you see it. If we allowed our hearts to just be captured by sin in the world, we can do the worst of things. Thank God that He's able to. Give us a new heart, a new direction, and by the Holy Spirit, a new fruit of life, fruits of life, not the fruits of the flesh. But I think of David as a good illustration, King David, a good king. And yet, over David was shadowing the fact that not only he he was a man of great blood, he, he shed a lot of blood in his life. God took note of that. But he also did some terrible things. And here's a story from the prophet Nathan who came to David. And it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, Uh, bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and with his children it ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him a little ewe lamb that was a pet and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock (coughs) and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Listen, David, who was a shepherd, he understood that. He understood even what it was like to care for sheep. And this great warrior of a man who could slay Goliath and his thousands of others, as this great warrior, he sits there and he understands that it's not right to go and kill a man's pet. David had a soft heart. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And it says, if that had been too little, I also would have given you so or much more. Why have you despised the command of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your own eyes your eyes and give them to your neighbor he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son for you did in it secretly but i will do this thing before all israel before the son so david said to nathan i have sinned against the lord and nathan said to david the lord also has put away your sin you shall not die you know it's this is nathan going and confronting the king for the sin of adultery and murder it was adultery and then in covering up the affair because Bathsheba conceived in that relationship she has or he has Uriah one of his mighty men sent to the very front of the battle where he was going to die David sends him out hoping his sin would be covered and you know think about that God saw it all He reveals it to Nathan. Nathan comes, uses this little story, and we see David, and David admits he sinned. That's the measure of the man. You see, when you understand that you have failed morally and physically and everything, to come clean and say, oh God, I've sinned against you. You've also sinned maybe against others, but I've sinned first and foremost against you. And God took note of that. And he would use David He would use that relationship with Bathsheba too. out of that relationship would come another son named Solomon. And Solomon would be the one who would bring peace to a nation. He would also be the one to build a temple. And it would be out of that family also would come the Lord Jesus. Bathsheba is also mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. See, what we do sometimes can be a real mess but in that God still can take all the mess of sin and he still can work his plan and in spite of the evil which we meant God can bring good. He doesn't like want us to go sin and do that and I often think of that with the story of Samson how much more he could have used Samson if Samson was really sold out for him. I sometimes ask myself that. Lord, when I, when I see the Lord use me in something or other things and I, and I say, God, though, if you really, really, really could just get a hold of that parts of me that sometimes I cling to so strong, how much more would you use us and me in particular? And it drives me to say, Lord, I need to keep short accounts with you. I hope you do that. Take note, look in the mirror and say, how you doing? i got to move on here. We're reminded that That even the weak things of the flesh, if when given over to God, um, you know, though this was a time of reproach, God was going to use it in a time of uh, to to display His name. And I have a third word there. I can flip to that. Maybe you got there. It is retribution. Retribution. That's what Samson eventually prays for. Now that sounds a little bit odd, like should we be praying for retribution? Well, the idea of retribution is to pay back, essentially. And it it could be to reward also, believe it or not. We don't use it much in that context in modern English, but the idea is to give back what is due. And in this case, they had taken his eyesight in a horrific way, and they had made him to act like a beast, and then made sport of him, or brought him to... Perform is the word. And, and I can see this Samson, this great man, you know, who is now blind, being led about by a child. And they're up there, thousands of them on the roof and in the house and the temple. And they're all saying, dance for us, Samson. And let's see a little jig. Can you do that? Do you have a little song you can give us? Hey, Samson, can you, can you do anything that just entertain us for a while? And they're drunk and they're just making fun of him. And Samson calls out in faith, and he begs the Lord to visit him again. And Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. And now the temple was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and the women on the roof watching while Samson performed. And then Samson called to the Lord. That's the secret right there. Saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray, strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. And so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down, took him, and brought him up, and buried him between Zoar and Neshtael in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel twenty years. When the Philistines cried out, those, all those people saying, hey, entertain us, entertain us. They never realized he'd bring the house down. <laughs> but he did. God did. And it destroyed them all. And the testimony of Samson's life was that he killed more in his death than in his life. And again, I, I'm not sitting here saying in, in the physical application God wants us to go out and kill that's not what he's saying here but for Samson that was his position as the judge he was to be a defender of his country his people and he didn't do that very well for 20 years I mean he did it and God used it but yet it was in his death that he was really victorious and again it just reminds us that if you give even the littlest of portion to God he will use it he will use it Years ago, I remember doing a funeral for a man that I had gone and, and uh, on his deathbed, I had witnessed to him and he became saved. He wanted to be, be a follower of Christ and he knew he wasn't going to be leaving that, that hospital bed. And he was a well-known man. I won't tell you who it was or anything like that or the circumstances. It wasn't around here. And I just know this, that he was, he was well-loved by many because at his funeral, hundreds of people came. And he was a preparer kind of man in his life in some ways. His background uh, lended itself to that. And yet, in spiritual things, he wasn't up until the end of his life. For much of his life, he spent the center of the party, you know, sort of like he was the guy who walked in the room and people went to him because he was the life of the party. He lived a lot for self. He had a string of broken relationships. He had a lot of things in his life. He had some... Some consequences of sin he had done, you know, and that followed him in health and everything else. And yet, at the end of his life, he became a believer. And I had a wonderful privilege of preaching the gospel at his funeral and sharing that testimony of the last three weeks of the man's life. You know, after that, I had a lot of people come up. And I've had people years later even say, Hey, I was there that day when you said those words. And I've never heard those things. And I've had more opportunity to witness. And I believe out of that same funeral, there was another guy that got saved. And when I I look at that and I think, how much more would it have been if that man had got right with the Lord when he was young, you know? And really walked with God. Those questions I leave to the Lord. But no matter what stage you are in life, it's not too late to turn to Him in faith and to trust Him. Will you do that? let's pray God we are grateful for your word and Lord as we are reminded that in the time of the judges it was absolute chaos and from Samson on to the end of that chapter the end of this book it gets gets worse and yet Lord in that same time people would make bad decisions like a man from Bethlehem would go down to Moab and there in Moab you would again begin to write a story And you'd bring out another woman named Ruth. And Lord, how Ruth would be used. And she too, being in your lineage as a great, great, great grandmother. And how you can take even the bad times and work your plan. And Messiah will come forth. And we pray again that to that end in these days, Lord, during this Christmas season, help us to be quick to share the hope that is within us through the person of Jesus Christ. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.